Thanks, Nisa. I'm delighted to be joined today by Max Boonin, CEO at B2C2. Hey, Max, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great. So we're here to talk about some exciting news. For viewers who may not be as familiar with B2C2, um, growing from the two guys in a garage to a team 40 strong across the world, um, your recent funding round is pretty exciting news. Can you share a little bit more detail with us about where you guys came from and what you hope that this additional funding is going to allow you to do? Yes. So in 2015, we started out purely as an electronic market maker on exchange, providing liquidity on the likes of Coinbase, Bitstamp, Bitfinex at the time. And early on in, in 2016, we decided that we wanted to be to make an aggressive entry into the OTC market with a bit of a twist, which is that we wanted it to be to be electronic. At the time, the incumbents were you know, basically picking up the phone and doing big trades. Um, and that's the, that's the part of our business that, that's really grown much faster than the rest uh, of, of the industry. The, um, a few things really put us on the map. Uh, one, we were first to get into the Japanese, the Japanese market in a big way, and we managed to get all the big brokers uh, in, that, in that country to, to trade with us. Some of the relationships are, are public, such as with GMO and other very large names. And at the same time, we hired Phil Gillespie, who was running electronic effects for Goldman in London, to run that effort uh, directly in Tokyo. So those, those things really put us on the map. Um, and in 2019, we hired Rocket Lanello to run our US office. We were one of the latest uh, players to get into the US market. Well, in fact, most incumbents are from the US in, um, in, in OTC trading. You know, we're talking about Circle and others. Um, and that's really only in 2019 that we entered that market and, and really unlocked a lot, of the, a lot of the potential that we were hoping to, to, to have there. Um, now that 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 fund that deal with 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 SBI that's taking a thirty million dollar stake in the in the company, I think that growth story has been a, quite quite important in in getting them to to want to make that that transaction. I think that there there's two things. First, the non-domestic players in the Japanese market there's really a handful, so you know they were quite comfortable with the fact that you know we had been in their country for quite some time, yes. And secondly, it's it's a more classical story of, you know, they like the quality of the offering, especially on the tech side. And there's another thing that's quite important, which is the quality of the client franchise. I don't think that there's anyone in crypto who's got such a valuable institutional client franchise as B2C2. Yeah, so SBI taking a stake in B2C2, you know, sounds like a pretty big deal. Um, you know, SBI is quickly turning into, you know, a very uh, successful crypto conglomerate, if you will. And um, I guess that presence in Japan already had, you know, warmed that relationship. Um, what, what do you see happening from a business perspective from your Japanese market? Do you, do you think that is going to be one of the areas where you're primed to grow? So one thing that's important to understand about the transaction is that SBI's investment arm has been active in crypto for some time. They have investments in Ripple, R3, Elliptic, and a handful of others. But here, it's the business side 
that is taking the stake. So that's quite different. You know, it's not a venture play. Um, it's the business that is seeing strong uh, synergies with B2C2. And, and they've, they've been, they started getting comfortable doing that because uh, on the 1st of May, the regulations changed in Japan, which I think gave SBI quite a bit of a competitive edge, but one that had to be unlocked by by a player like like B2C2. Um, you know, on the there's one big trend uh, with within the FX space and brokers in general, which is that more and more of them in the face of margin compression are turning into liquidity providers. But that's not something that's easy to achieve. Um, it is it is not like you can just you know become a liquidity provider just like that. And I think that having seen B2C2 success in the Japanese market as a liquidity provider and us being essentially the only regulated player around in specifically what we do, you know, obviously other companies are regulated, exchanges and the like, but as a liquidity provider, it's more or less only B2C2 and perhaps one or two other um, players. And so all of that taken together, I think made them want to, to really do that deal. Yeah, it sounds like it's there's a mutual benefit for both of you. That's that's pretty apparent from both sides. Um, so you know, we know that especially around banking, there's been a long-term you know standoff, as it will, between banks and crypto firms, um, and to some extent, fintech firms as well. Um, with JPM agreeing to a service, uh, a couple of U.S. banks recently, um, and exchanges. Do do you see this as the beginning of the ice beginning to break? And, you know, will a firm like SBI that's already primarily fintech focused um, be learning things from B2C2 that maybe they don't, they haven't done that already themselves? I think on, on, you know, banking, the ice breaking, I don't want to be too optimistic because it wouldn't be the first time that that we think, okay, well, this is, this is it, this is happening. I remember actually, I don't really trade myself, but one of my only successful trades of the past couple of years was, I think it was 2014, it was announced that PayPal was going to accept Bitcoin yeah. um, and, and the market popped, um, but it, it you know went up 20% and it kind of stayed there. And 20% back in 2014 was a big move, uh, but not crazy big. So I thought, hold on a second, if PayPal is going to be accepting Bitcoin, it should be a much bigger move. So I showed to the market and and from that point it went it went lower and lower um obviously a successful trade I've, I've had many unsuccessful ones but i remember that one so just the fact that jp morgan is going to be banking some crypto exchanges i think it's nice you know we'll we'll take it uh it's good news obviously but i don't want that to make us complacent and think that well it's okay you know we don't need to do any more uh, education and work with the banks to get them to to be more comfortable with our industry Okay. And and as to your your second question, you know what is it that SBI can cannot do that they that they need B two C two to do? I think that's um, what I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. There's this big trend that brokers are turning into liquidity providers, and the reason for that is just the margins are compressing to a level where they have to become liquidity provider and cannot just take prices from others. That's a trend that we see. Um, on uh, in different countries in Japan, I think it's quite advanced because the market in Japan with retail FX trading is just much bigger than than elsewhere. So basically, what B two C two is bringing to the table is expertise in e dealing, and that's really that's really key. And actually, interestingly, it doesn't matter the asset class so much if you can do e dealing well, whether you do it in crypto for an exchange 
fixed income, equities, you know, part of the recipe is the same. And one thing that I think we will also see is that SBI is going to move into the prime of prime, the B2B side a little bit more. That's something that we've seen some of their competitors do. Uh, it's something that is uh, that has been done in, in Europe. A player like IG Markets also does uh, also serves as a prime broker to smaller brokers so that cannot directly access the banks for reasons of because of credit constraints. And so I think that it's important to them if they're going to be of prime of prime, they also need to have more expertise in terms of liquidity provision. Yeah. So, you know, prime services, prime brokerage is, you know, the, the, the latest trend, right? Everybody's talking about getting into prime brokerage and, you know, I've talked to others um, about why they want to move into the space and, and providing that bridge between traditional finance into crypto or the same types of tools that exist in traditional finance into crypto. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I guess my question to you in that prime brokerage space is one, is this, is this an opportunity for you? Is that the direction of travel you're moving in? And then two, how would your approach be different to everyone else's? Yes, it's a good question. Um, As part of the, of the announcement of the deal, we, we said that we were getting into the prime brokerage market um, quite actively, and we hope to make a, a big entry this month. We're rolling out an, auto, an automated electronic RFQ-based system for funding trades. Um, it's a decision that that is matured. Took us a long time to make our decision because when we get into a new market, we want that to come from a position not of well, oh no, we need to get new revenues. What are we going to do? We want that to be, uh, we want to make strong commitments. We want to do that with strong intention. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it took us a lot, a lot of time to, to get into that market, uh, to make that decision. Just like you don't see B2C2 in the crypto options market, not because we don't think that, you know, it could be a profitable thing to do, but it's just the stars need to align. And I think that now it's been, the stars are aligning for a PB, a PB offering. Um, What I, I think everyone's got an interesting angle. As Ari Paul from Block Tower said um, a few weeks ago, I really liked that quote in, in, I think it was in the block, that a lot of players are trying to address the crypto, sorry, the prime brokerage feature set from different angles, but thus far, it's really more aspirational than anything else. Mm -hmm. And I agree with that. I think that everyone's got an interesting approach, but in each case, there's something that's missing. And I view, um, I view, I, I think there's three core ingredients to having a successful prime brokerage. I think one, you need proper know-how and you need to have an electronic offering. It's got to be automated. You can't be doing this in spreadsheets. Just like B2C into his entry into the US market in 2019 with a, an electronic spot trading offering that was battle tested in Japan with major regulated financial institutions really changed the competitive landscape in the United States because people were not ready to, to compete with such an electronic offering. I think in PB, you need as well to have strong automation to be good with, with e-dealing. Um, and that's not something that everyone has. The second one, is an existing client base. Because a lot of people have tried to do a standalone prime broker. And the problem is it relies on such strong network effects that if you just start from a standalone basis, you're gonna have to subsidize it to get those 
those clients in a way that is just it's not sustainable well, and, and, and depth i think yeah. is, is you know the, the that critical piece of being able to provide that balance sheet depth and and, and so if you start with no clients do you have to charge you know five ten basis points per trade to make it worth your while to justify the projections to investors and today people are just not willing to pay that in crypto because the spreads have compressed faster than what people anticipated. Mm -hmm. Our best client, you know, they, they pay a basis point to trade crypto. So the idea that on top of that basis point, they need to pay five basis points for the clearing, for the settlement, it just doesn't work. When we ask them, they say, well, you know, perhaps I'll pay a quarter of a basis point. The problem is that at a quarter of a basis point, you need to attract such monster volumes that it's really difficult to get something successful off the ground if you start with zero. So a player like B2C2, and there's there's a few others that already have a client base, then that's one of the missing ingredients. And maybe you can build something on top of that. And the third one, as you mentioned, is the is the balance sheet. Historically speaking, B2C2 has been one of the smaller players because we didn't raise, you know, $200 million from VCs. Uh, we really, you know, we're, we're self-funded. It's really our past profits. We've only done a, a, a small funding round. So having access to that balance sheet for us has always been a pain point and we've had to be more efficient, which I think now is turning into a strength. We've got a very strong asset liability management framework, which added to the possible contribution from SBI to B2C2's balance sheet, I think is really going to put us up there with others that have access to, to very significant amounts of financial firepower. Okay. Max, it's been so exciting and fun to watch you guys grow over the last couple of years. Um, you have a great team um, and you're a stellar guy. So I wish you loads of success. And thank you again so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Tina. Cheers.